When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Marvelous Disney with Aaron Adams, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, October 18th, 2023. Uh, before we launch straight into the show here, folks, I uh, wanted to sort of circle back on something that Aaron had mentioned that he was going to go off and do on a previous show, which is Animaniacs Live, right? Yeah, I got to see uh, Rob Paulson and Maurice LaMarche do uh, Pinky in the Brain, and and uh, I can't remember the name of the writer of all of the songs, that, mm-hmm. but he played the piano, and he was responsible for all of the music for the Animaniacs show. And so they had behind-the-scenes stories of where these songs came from. Uh, there was one that uh, they saw the L.A. <laughs> a producer saw L.A. Department of Transportation on mm-hmm. a bus, and he's like, hey, we got a dot. What if we did L.A. dot? And so they they wrote a song, but it was called La Dot because she saw her name on the bus and thought that they were talking about the dot, but in French. So she was intercontinental. And uh, the, he, they wrote this wonderful song called La Dot. And then the producer heard it. Went, yeah, no, but I was thinking like L.A. dot. Go redo it. You got till like eight o'clock. <laughs> and so and he's like, you're on the clock. You don't really get to, you know, argue your merits on. No, I think it's better this way. It's just like, OK, you're cutting the check. I'm going to go back in the studio and change it to L.A. dot, I guess. Mm-hmm. So they sang the before and the after of what it was and, and what it ended up being. And, and then uh, at the end of the show, Maurice LaMarche and, and Rob Paulson do Pinky and the Brain taking over the world. And they're they're talking about uh, Hungary and Turkey. And uh, they end up doing a who's on first routine with it because I don't want to take over the world if I'm hungry. Well, the Hungarians are very proud to be hungry. Why would you want to be hungry when you got turkey right next door? Oh, I love turkey. Could we have some turkey? Well, yes, but then you wouldn't be hungry. And, and oh, it just the, the beats oh. and the rhythm were so fantastic. So anyway, it was a wonderful night. We laughed. We cried. I spilled my wine. It was a it was a full, full evening of, of joy. Oh, that sounds cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry I missed that. I don't know if they they made it up this far. They were on their way to Ohio the very next night, and then they they are still touring. And I think they've actually got several groups of them doing different shows. Hmm. So yeah, still worth checking out. If if you missed it, uh, they may, may still be on the road today. Got it. Got it. Okay. Earlier today, a logo for Echo, the limited series from Marvel Studios. This popped up on X. Uh, kudos to Daredevil Update for digging this artwork up and then sharing it being social media. I, d- I don't know if you've seen the logo yet, Aaron, but it's kind of scuffed up, just like the Echo character, mm-hmm. but cool, which also describes the Echo character. Echo was originally supposed to debut all episodes available for binging on the exact same day on November 29th. But due to the ongoing writer's strike and that three month long job action is really screwing up 
Hollywood's production pipeline, executives at that subscription streaming service made the decision to push off Echo to uh, January of next year. I still don't have an exact date on that, but when we, we get it, we'll share it with your folks. And by the way, don't mean to infer that this job action is the actor's fault. They just want what's fair, and the writers got it, so let's see if the actors can get it. You know, during the the strikes, especially now that the writers are done and it's just the Mm -hmm. actors, there's Mm -hmm. a a bit more of a spotlight saying, okay, now what do the actors need to get this settled? And someone posted on X a scene from a Disney, it looked like a cheerleading movie. Did you see that, where it it had a row of CG people? Now, I'm going to bleep this out because I don't want to offend sensitive listeners, but that looked like a row of dolls. The Uncanny Valley was just a little too uncanny. It was very, very bad. So anyway, I think that was a very good glimpse of, like, you could have paid real people to sit in those bleachers and clap their hands, Mm -hmm. and uh, they could have bought a loaf of bread and fed their family. Yeah, yeah. That footage was horrifying for a bunch of reasons. And, yeah. and and the fact that, you know, immediately sort of rang bells is like, it pulled you out of the scene. You weren't yeah. looking at the actors in the front row like you were supposed to. You were drawn to the horrifying non-humans in the row behind them. And they're very unlifelike behavior. And so, yeah. <laughs> no, you're not wrong. All right. Anyway, folks, more Marvel-related news in a moment. But first, Mr. Adams and I want to remind you that the news portion of Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Touring Plan's own travel agency. And if you're thinking of heading on down to Walt Disney World anytime soon, these obviously knowledgeable folks can help. They'll even toss in a free subscription to Touring Plan's with every vacation package you book. So, before your next trip to Florida, please check them out at touringplans.com backslash travel. Okay, so as we mentioned, last week's show, season two of Loki, off to a strong start. 10.9 million views in its first three days. Only the premiere of season three of Star Wars The Mandalorian did better viewership-wise when it debuted on Disney Plus back in March of this year. But Disney Parks, which typically likes to use the debut of these limited series from Marvel to then introduce new characters to the canvas when it comes to the Avengers campus at both uh, Disney's California Adventure in Anaheim and Walt Disney Studios Park in Paris. There's no polite way of saying this, folks. They dropped the ball. And the only place you could see a walk-around version of a character that was specific to season two of Loki was in the lobby of the Disney Hotel New York, the art of, of Marvel. That guy, I mean, no disrespect, but he really kind of redefined the idea of a walk-around character. This is the version of Loki that we were introduced to in the first episode, or Ouroboros. Uh, and so he's wearing the outfit that Loki was wearing when he was time-slipping. So he shirt sleeves, suspenders, and he's rapidly walking around the lobby of the Disney Hotel New York, the Outer Marvel. It's supposedly looking for Mobius and Sylvie. But if you watch the video footage, and, and there was a couple people who who grabbed it because it was so odd-looking, uh-huh. this is the direction he was given. You're on a mission. You're urgently looking for your friends. But if you watch the videos, it basically looks like Loki really knows, needs to go to the bathroom. 
<laughs> just kind of bouncing around on you know hopping on one leg back and forth just uh, you know a guy who's who's moving through a, a lobby space urgently looking for someone something somebody put up well you know he probably got a really bad slice of key lime pie and that's the other thing in episode two we got that wonderful little scene where mobius and and loki sit down in the tva's automat and enjoy a slice of of, of nuclear uh, green yeah, yeah, and and this is the thing that the message went out a year or so ago to go to that all divisions of the Walt Disney Company must support our company's subscription streaming service. So somebody from Disney Parks experience and products saw the advanced cut of Loki season two, saw the scene with the pie and said, oh. That's it. We're going to put slices of key lime pie in the park. And then went off and found the most unappetizing looks, uh, pieces of, of key lime pie you could ever find and put those up for sale. They should sell it in a supermarket and just call it the low-key lime pie. Key lime, low-key lime pie. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Because you know, the, the, then there could have been... Some quality control. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I don't need to explain to you who's, who's worked in entertainment for years that the pie that was used on camera in episode two of season two was a prop. And again, you know, just it, it was right. camera ready. It was pretty. I think they pretended to eat it, but it wasn't real food. And the folks at both Disneyland Resort in Anaheim and the folks at, at Disneyland Paris, who then had to get these pies ready to sell at Pim's Kitchen in both parks, they couldn't match the color. And more to the point, I'm not even sure I can identify what the color is of the key lime pie. It's and, in the very, very beginning of the Simpsons intro when Homer <laughs> takes that uh, radioactive little rod and it slips down his back. It's that color green. It has a glow to it, an unnatural light source, if you will. Mm -hmm. okay. And uh, yeah, that's it's really hard to get. Oh, speaking of the unnatural, for the flavoring, uh, I'm, I'm aware of uh, in was it Olga's Cantina, the Star mm -hmm. Wars thing where they yep. had the, t the Tauntaun, which mm -hmm. had some like pepper element that numbed your tongue mm -hmm. I, I hope they added that ingredient to the key lime pie it just has that nuclear look that your your tongue should go numb as soon as it touches your taste buds and you should have a, just a little bit of panic when, when you take your first bite but here's the thing if you go over to marvel.com they actually are offering the recipe for key lime pie this so is genius if i'm being completely honest here the thing i want is that if you go to the Skyline Bar at the Disney Hotel New York, The Art of Marvel, they're serving a God of Mischief mocktail. And what makes this worthwhile, Aaron, is that the Skyline Bar has this video wall behind the bar that the idea is you are up in a skyscraper, you know, the Avengers Tower. Mm -hmm. That's the view you're looking out on as you sit at the bar. Like there's a little Quinjet parked out on the on the ramp out there and Iron Man goes flying by and such. You've literally nailed the experience in one. That's it exactly. That awesome. If you go online, there's some wonderful videos that sort of show the space. 
But you can see, for example, Tony Stark take off from the uh, Avengers Tower and, you know, pause for moments in the window and look in. And then he flies off and then Spidey dangles from above upside down and peers in. And I was waiting for the cycle to watch the Quinjet take off and it never came up. But right. I, I do want to just have the tiniest pause to congratulate Disney. Just this marketing side of things, just to get mm-hmm. back to the pie super fast. Mm-hmm. It shows up in the show. And uh, people go, oh, wow, look at that beautiful pie. And someone, you're right, you know, had the bright idea. Hey, let's put this in the park and charge, you know, like seven bucks a slice because we can't. Mm -hmm. We're Disney. Mm -hmm. And they do that. And people are like us talking about the pie in the park and people are eating it in the park. But they're still talking about it came from Loki or you're having the Loki key lime pie. And then because people are talking about it in the general like media about the stupid ass pie, they put the recipe online. So now you can make it at home at your own leisure and share it with your friends. But every time you take a bite of that pie, you're like, Oh, you know, I saw this on Loki uh, season two, episode two, right? Uh, you really got to check it out. Have you seen it? It's good. Great, great show. Great show. This is where we got the recipe for the pie. Really fun show. And uh, you're talking about it the whole damn time you're eating the pie. Okay. This is just a way to keep you talking about Loki in a way that you don't realize that you're talking about Loki because you're shoving it through your pie hole. Ha ha. Wordplay victory is mine. Go ahead. Uh, well, I, the thing that, that amazes me is you pulled that number clear out of the air, right? The, the, the $7 slice of pie. Yeah, total uh, guess. Okay. You're off by 49 cents. Probably on the low side, right? It's <laughs> no, that's it exa- yeah. no, that's it exactly. I'm I just, knew there was something wrong with my math. It was too damn low. I, Disney would I, never I, sell I, a piece of pie for $7. I would be shot for suggesting it to corporate. I'm just kind of amazed at your gift. Okay, anyway, getting back to Avengers Campus. Uh, just this last week, we finally got some new walk-around characters to accompany this pie in the park. Uh, we got a post-Sylvie threw me through a time door Loki, who's in his TVA outfit. But they also have an OB. They've, they've got Kehun Kwan's Ouroboros character. And what's great, I mean, he's in the exact outfit. I mean, that dark brown, light brown, green patchwork jacket and his apron. And he's Does he always speak in a polite panic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just, I, I, I have to admit, I love how upbeat, but also yeah. terrified that character is. It's yeah. just, it's been great fun. And speaking of terrifying, if you've seen any of the ad- ads for this season of, of Loki, there's a quick shot of Miss Minutes, a supersized Miss Minutes, uh, walking through some sort of urban environment as like a chronological kaiju. Mm-hmm. So this is what's kind of intriguing because Disney now, uh, you know how they'll do those, they have the official photo pass people who will stop you and take a picture with you, but they'll tell you, oh, well, hold your hand out. And then, you know, when you finally look at the photograph, when you go back to the hotel room, Tinkerbell is in your, your hand or you're posing with some Disney characters. And evidently they're doing this also on Avengers Campus with Miss Minutes, which given that they flat out said that she's in league with he who remains, I I don't know how people are going to look back on that holiday snapshot anytime soon. Well, you know, if it's a, a situation where her uh, artificial intelligence was tinkered with and tweaked, uh, but oh. then she became back to normal, you know, kind of like how Jarvis and, and uh, Ultron were kind of intermingled for a bit, and then a, a Jarvis was able to separate himself once again, and, and we're all like, yay, Jarvis is back to normal. 
Yeah, it's the same thing with Miss Minutes. She could just uh, snap out of it in, in some sort of fancy computer hacky type on a keyboard frantically. I'm going in through her back door. I know that sounds dirtier than what I meant, but you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I may have to edit that. <laughs> I eh, Maybe not. Okay, uh, again, so we were just talking about episode two, season two of Loki, and Dan DeLue, who directed this episode, had some thoughts on the show, which he shared with Variety. And, and Dan has an interesting history with Marvel. He's he's a guy who got his start in the industry working in visual effects. You can see uh, Deleuze's work in movies like The Mask and Armageddon and, and the Night at the Museum series. And as to how he wound up helming films and TV shows for Marvel Studios, well, that break came about because... The Russo brothers, who'd had Dan handle a lot of visual effects on uh, Winter Soldier, Civil War, and Infinity War, the Russos turned to, to Dan when they have some additional photography that needs to be done on this three-hour-plus-long superhero film and say, look, you go do it. And that footage turned out so well that executives at Marvel Studios noticed, so they hired Dan to do some second-unit work on Eternals and Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, and that turns out, on, on those two projects turned out so well that they then hire him to do this second episode of season two of Loki, which a lot of this episode is set at a McDonald's in 1982 in, in Broxton, Oklahoma, and, and they could have gone anywhere. It's like, why there? And Dan's explanation was like, look, McDonald's, they're timeless. You know, they cross countries, they cross borders. And by showing Sylvie decide to take that specific job there, that then quickly clues the audience into Sylvie's headspace. She, she's been on the run for so long. And to be in a place like that with, with normal people, with a job that makes no real demands on her, and to be able to leave the world of the TVA behind, that, that's why Sylvie chose that job and chose that place. And California Adventure used to have this restaurant called Burger Invasion in the Paradise Pier area. And while it was not a full-on McDonald's, it was a food service location that was gifted to McDonald's because they agreed to sponsor a couple of attractions at Disneyland Second Gate. So if you went into Burger Invasion, you could get a Big Mac. Uh, now, mind you, Burger Invasion closed 15 years ago last month, uh, September 2008. It was one of the things that, that went under as the, the, the company spent $1.2 billion to remake DCA. But if it were still there, how cool would it have been if people were visiting DCA today and they went in to order something at Burger Invasion and who did they find behind the counter but the walk-around version of Sylvie? Now, so this is kind of one of those problems about being an actor. Let's mm. say you get hired to be an actor and mm -hmm. uh, you're like, oh boy, I'm going to mm -hmm. be in a movie, ma. Mm -hmm. Watch me on the big screen. And it turns out that your scene is scrubbing a toilet. You're like, oh, damn. <laughs> so you're working for Disney and they're like, hey, how would you like to play Sylvie? And it's like, oh my goodness, let me call my folks. Folks, I'm playing Sylvie. And then they go, oh, wait, by, by the way, uh, Sylvie is going to be serving hamburgers and cheeseburgers for eight hours a day. <laughs> would you like fries with that? Uh, please drive around. Oh my God. And then, yeah, you just get so deflated, like, ah. Well, you know, it's, it's 
what, the old joke about, you know, the guy who sweeps up after the elephant and don't you want a better job? And it's like, what? And leave show business? So, right. Back to Dan DeLuna, who, remember, came out of visual effects and worked for years in this aspect of, of Marvel Studios. And Dan got asked by Variety what it was like to work on this aspect of a Marvel movie. And he said, look, on every film, there's crunch time. A time when you have to go all in, you and you have to make sure that all the visual effect shots that a film need need to go out the door and that they have to be done. So you work weekends, you sleep under your desk, do whatever you have to do. But back then, you'd get a couple of months off between projects and you have time to recover from that all in sleep under your desk work experience. And but now the movies are so much bigger and and they, along with the limited series for Disney+, Plus, are just being produced so close together that visual effects people are going from one big show on a tight deadline to the next big show on a tight deadline to the, the next big show on a tight deadline. And that grind is impacting people's health and their families, and it just can't go on like this. And that's why... When the visual effects guys at Marvel decided to unionize, I totally supported them. I mean, there just has to be a way to get a better work-life balance here for the artist's sanity and for their families and just their creativity. Otherwise, you're getting diminished returns. And this is why people at Marvel are now saying that the effects work on Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania wasn't really as good as it should have been, that this was the direct result of the crew that had been working to get Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness out the door in time for its November 2022 release date. They just didn't have enough time to recover from that work assignment to then get Quantum Mania ready in time for its February 2023 uh, release date just three months later. And reportedly what really didn't help this situation was Kevin Feige's decision that Quantum Mania's ending just wasn't working. Uh, you know, he made the decision in December of 2022. They reshot the ending in January, just one month later, and that's just weeks out from when Ant-Man had to go into theaters. And they had to finish all of the effects for the revised ending prior to it hitting theaters. And that's just one of the stories you'll read in MCU, The Reign of Marvel Studios. That book hit store shelves last Tuesday. I've been reading it for a full week here. And when we get back, we're going to share another story from that book about the Spider-Man movie we almost got, the one directed by James Cameron. Before we get to the James Cameron version of Spider-Man, want to share some of the news stories that came out of New York Comic-Con this past weekend. And Aaron, you have some news about a relaunch of, of the Ultimates, really? Yeah, and I'm actually excited about that because it's a, it's a great entryway for people who you know, are new to comic books. They don't know where to start. Well, they're just kind of relaunching the Ultimate Universe once again. So when we get the Ultimate Spider-Man comic book, it is not the young Peter Parker from the old Ultimate Spider-Man. It is now uh, middle-aged Pete. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the the adult, I don't know if he's the teacher version of Pete, but yeah, uh, definitely not the kid version. And we got a new Black Panther uh, line. We've got uh, Ultimate X-Men and then Ultimate Universe. And if you look at the cover, you'd say, okay, that's your Avengers lineup. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, but I, don't, I guess they're using Ultimate Universe to be more of an umbrella term. So maybe like Fantastic Four might show up on the side in that or something like that. I don't know. But uh, four books so far, four different titles, and uh, all relaunching under the Ultimate banner once again. And it's a great, wow. yeah, like I said, a great entry point. So if you're a new reader and just want to dive in, it's a great way to do it. The last time they did this was March of 2002, wasn't it? They used it to sort of clear the runway. I mean, simplify storylines, you know, is that same thing this time around? I don't I don't think so because there's not a whole lot of point in rehashing anymore. Like when they redid uh, mm. Ultimate Spider-Man the first time it was like hey we can we got a clean start and we don't have to worry about the stupid clone war thing mm-hmm. uh, you know I mean there's like all of this continuity that they could just kind of throw off to the side and go okay we need to have Gwen Stacy get killed that's you know a big moment we need to redo that and we need to have a twist you know we need mm-hmm. to make it a little bit different and so the people who were familiar with the storyline the original got to relive it but you know have a little a twist moment where it's not quite the the exact same, but it still has all the emotional impact of the original story. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you got all of that uh, retelling this. I really don't think they want to retell anything. I just think they want a clean slate Hmm. because I mean, ultimate Spider-Man that, that dude died. Young Pete died, man. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. they, this cannot be a continuation of that. He dead. So, yeah, this is just a, a whole clean slate. And it's been enough years between the past Ultimate Lines ending to where they they can go, yeah, let's just do that again. But, you know, it's, it's just a, a fresh, clean chalkboard where we can do whatever we want. And we don't have to worry about continuity of anything before it. Wow. Okay. But, again, one of the other things that people really enjoy about going to New York Comic Con isn't necessarily panels and that sort of thing. It, it's this sort of thing, learning about what's coming, you know, new actual comics. But also there are the products that key off of the comics. And you and your wife being so enthusiastic about Lego sets and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. you just learned about another addition, I guess, to you know that you have to have for your collection at home, right? Yeah, it's the Avengers Tower, and it is so beautiful, and uh, I think it was almost three feet tall. It was Mm -hmm. like an inch shy of three feet tall, I believe, Mm -hmm. Uh, and it was like $550-ish. I don't remember the exact price, but it was uh, around mid-500s. Since we've already got the, the Daily Bugle, She's like, well, we got to get that. And then we got to get the Sanctum Sanctorum. And we're just going to have downtown Lego New York Marvel style. And I'm like, yeah, because I'm a geek, I have to support these decisions because they are. It's the appropriate thing to do with your money is is try and recreate Marvel and Lego. <laughs> okay. I, I just have one quick question here because uh, you and Sabrina, out of the goodness and kindness of your heart, recently 
adopted three kittens. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, the the (laughs) so the Legos are up on really tall shelves that they cannot reach because they're uh, the it's uh, those columns of glass uh, display cases, Mm -hmm. and there's just no place for them to launch from to get up that high. Okay. Uh, although I, since you did bring it up, there has mm-hmm. been a tragic loss of Ecto One. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was knocked off of a shelf and has been broken into a million little pieces. So we're gonna have to uh, spend a week putting that back together. Cats love a challenge. Oh yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. It just sort of oh, that's really high up there. You know, no, <laughs> the thing is, like, the thing that makes us yell at the top of our voices is when the cats sit on top of the chair and they look up at the Alex Ross Spider Man <gasps> painting canvas. Yep. yep where they reach up to stretch out and put their claws out near the canvas. We make the loudest noises in the world and mm-hmm. scare everybody within three blocks. Uh, they're like, I don't know what don't touch Spider-Man means, but my neighbors react to it. <laughs> they're like, what, what happened? Why, why can't you touch Spider-Man? What, what's going on over there? It's my cats. I, I really can't explain. <laughs> oh, oh, that's funny. That's funny. All right. Okay. Now, Back to New York Comic Con. A couple interesting Marvel-related bits of news came out of this. A couple of shows back, we were talking about how Rogers the Musical, that one-act show that was playing uh, Hyperion Theater at DCA, a closed tail end of the summer. We also mentioned uh, a couple of weeks back about the really, for real, full-length, two-act stage musical version that was based on Marvel's uh, Captain America comics that almost came to Broadway in uh, the late 1970s, early 1980s. And this past weekend, Chris Evans revealed to an audience at Comic-Con that he himself would like to go back to Broadway. And Evans told the crowd uh, from the Empire Stage at the Jacob Javits Center, I, I'm looking for a play. I, I'd love to, to actually try and find something for next year. Uh, but it's tough because once you're in it, you are in it. A, a show usually runs three, four, five months. So it's got to be something that you don't just love, but it's got to be something that you're ready to explore from different angles every single night for a very long time. And as I mentioned, not the first time he's been on stage in New York. Back in 2018, just as Avengers Infinity War was getting ready to start burning up the box office, uh, Chris starred in a Broadway revival of Kenneth Lurgan's uh, Lobby Hero. And what's interesting is the central character of the show was actually played by Michael Sarah. Mm-hmm. Then he played a security guard who's working in the foyer of a kind of a middle-income apartment building in Manhattan, and he's working the 11 to 7 a.m. shift. And Chris Evans played the overbearing cop who comes in and hassles this kid uh, as he's sitting in the desk in the lobby in the middle of the night. And so it was kind of the anti-Captain America. But show opens in late March of 2018, only runs for six weeks, closes May 18th of that same year. And what's interesting is that by that time, Avengers Infinity War had been in theaters for three weeks and had already made over half a billion dollars just in North America alone. And a friend at Marvel Studios also pointed this out is like, Evans does this. He finds a project that deliberately stretches his muscles as an actor just before he returns to play Captain America. And it's one of these things where it's like, so then suddenly when you you see that that's what he's looking to do in 2024, 
And if they go to shoot the Kang Dynasty in Secret Wars, that's 2025 into 2026. It, it, it suddenly gets interesting here. And I want to know the, okay, so whoever your friend is at, mm-hmm. uh, at Disney that said that, mm-hmm. they're so good at psychology. Because what they're doing is like, we'd really like to get uh, Chris Evans back to play Captain America. How can we do that? Uh, I don't know. We got to like plant a seed. It's like Inception, right? You can't know that you're planting the seed. Because if I tell you not to think of an elephant, the very first thing you do is think of an elephant. So we can't let them know that we're planting the seed. So I'm going to tell you, hey, you know, uh, it's really weird because every time he's ever played Captain America, he does this little thing where he goes out on Broadway and does a Mm -hmm. thing. And then that story starts circulating and one day chris evans hears it and he goes son of a bitch do i do that am i getting ready to play captain america hmm you know it has been a while let me call my friends over at disney and see what's going on and then lo and behold inception and uh christopher nolan and etc imax okay now i i know that sounds silly but but here's the thing Joanna Robinson, one of the three authors of MCU, The Reign of Marvel, has been out doing publicity for that book. Just appeared on the Watch podcast earlier this week and then went on to talk about how important Avengers Secret War is going to be for the MCU. And she revealed in an unused quote from the book that Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige had sort of implied that Secret War will serve as the soft reboot for this film series so they can prune everything. And she she wanted to say, that's not to use a Lokiism. They will prune everything that's not working and just keep what is working. And here's the important quote. Or bring back people that you thought were gone forever. So... Keep that in mind with the whole Chris Evans thing. You know, I got to say, that's like your golden parachute, because mm-hmm. that means that they can kind of play their their golf course, you know, until they get to the, the ninth hole and be mm-hmm. like, OK, do we need to pull the ripcord on this? Do, is this what we need to do? Do we need to get everybody back? Chris Evans and, and uh, Robert Downey Jr. And how much money is that going to cost? And mm-hmm. I mean, because they can, but they don't have mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about a multiverse, and we've already seen different actors playing different versions of the same character. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's an option, but we've also seen the same person playing the same character in different universes. So that's also an option. So basically, what he's done is, you know, Feige throw all of these different cameos and, and people showing up in multiversal form mm-hmm. is he's given them all possible options to get out of a writer's block. That's pretty smart, actually. But again, remember, the Marvel attitude, especially if you're a fan of the real stories told in the comic books, Kevin, from almost from day one, has treated what happens in the comics kind of like a buffet. Mm-hmm. In effect, oh, I like that. Eh, not so much that, but oh, that's cool. And just built the film sort of selecting the things that he think will resonate the most with fans of the film, but that also... The people who love the Marvel comics will also respect. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's an interesting thing to, to do. That Now, on, on the other hand, watching how actors take on characters that we know from the Marvel comics. I mean, you know, the, again, out of this past weekend's New York Comic Con, uh, Karen Gillan got asked, how did she come up with the distinctive voice 
that Nebula, uh, Gamora's sister, uses in the Guardians films. And she revealed that, well, James Gunn told me to, to do a voice that, that sounded like Marilyn Monroe and Clint Eastwood had had a baby. <laughs> so, oh, that is so, I mean, the, you know what? She was given a bullseye and she nailed it. Because uh, after you hear that as a descriptor, you're like, yep, yep. That's I can hear what she's doing there. Yeah. That's Got a little the- breathy, but it's kind of in the throat a little bit. Oh, I'm so mad. I could spit her. Again, this is another reason I really miss James Gunn. And again, look very much looking forward to what he does with the DC films coming up. Okay, Mm -hmm. one final New York Comic Con story. So Matthew Vaughn was there, and uh, he went on the record about why he quit as the director of X-Men The Last Stand uh, in June of 2005. I mean, he back then, what was released to the press that was that Vaughn had some family issues that forced him to withdraw as the director of this third film in the X-Men series. But over this past weekend, Matthew revealed the real reason. So he, he describes how he goes into work one day at 20th Century Fox. So I went into an executive's office and I saw a script for the X-Men 3. And it was a lot fatter. And again, this is a film he's working on. It's like, that, that's, that, that's fatter than the movie we're making. And it said, what is this draft? And they were like, don't worry about it. So I grab it and I, I read the first few pages and it says, Africa, kids dying of no water and storm creates a thunderstorm that saves all of these children. And, and I said, well, that's kind of a cool idea. So, so what is this? And they said, well, this is the Halle Berry script because she hasn't officially signed on yet. And this is what she wants X-Men 3 to be. And once she signs on, we're just going to throw the script in the bin. And I thought, if that's what you're going to do to an Oscar-winning actress who plays Storm, I quit. And Barry did eventually sign on to X-Men 3. Evidently, she'd only had her contract. You know, she had to do the first X-Men movie and then the sequel, but had not signed over 3. But she came back to play Storm again in this 2006 film. And nobody will tell us whether... The scene at, that was in the script, actually, you know, the, the, the one with the thunderstorm for the children dying of thirst in Africa, uh, if it was ever shot or did it get her to come back? But if we were going to talk about film executives behaving badly, in the early 1990s, James Cameron uh, got lured to a meeting at Fox. And remember, they, they had a, a, a history with him. He'd He had just done Terminator 2, Judgment Day for them, and, you know, and Aliens, and had made a buttload of money for them. And so they wanted him to direct the first X-Men movie, but Stan Lee is sitting there at the meeting. And during a lull in the conversation, Stan turns to James and says, oh, hey, I hear you like Spider-Man. And the meeting immediately derails because all James can now talk about to Stan is like, oh, get boy, I'd really like to make a Spider-Man movie. And if I had the opportunity, this is what I'd do. And he gets so excited, he goes off and writes a 47-page long scriptment. Cameron saw it all in his head, what he was going to do. And first and foremost, he wanted Leonardo DiCaprio to play Peter Parker. Also, because he wanted this film to be huge internationally, 
he was going to rope in his longtime collaborator, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who he wanted to play Doc Ock. What do we think of that? If you close your eyes and you just listen to an accent, mm-hmm. and you go, oh, Austrian, hmm. mm-hmm. German, uh, Doc, Doc Ock, Octavius, I, I could see maybe, mm-hmm. hold this vial for me while I go mix a serum to help cure you of your disease, Peter. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, Doc Ock has always been kind of portly, and, and uh, that's not him it, mm-hmm. he wasn't already dr freeze by that point for the batman movie right this was before that because i think that was like 92 or 93 when that came out i think hang on that's batman forever isn't it yeah batman forever 1995 i mean it's i guess it's just because they're buddies mm-hmm. and, and I, I also because I think Hollywood didn't treat superheroes like everybody knew them, like Mm -hmm. Bible scripture, you know? Mm -hmm. Everybody knows the death of Uncle Ben. Mm -hmm. It's like John Mm -hmm. (laughs) 3.16. Ben's Street Corner, 36th Street. So it's it's, uh, one of those things where I don't think he really cared about sticking to anything. Mm -hmm. He wanted to work with someone he collaborated well with. And uh, so if if he's muscly and he's got a couple extra mechanical arms, well, he's extra threatening then. Okay. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Schwarzenegger played Mr. Freeze in 1997's Batman and Robin, not uh, Batman Forever from 1995. Oh, but, okay. but again, your, your point is well taken. And Cameron has since described Spider-Man as the best movie I never made. He storyboarded it. They did effects tests. DiCaprio and Schwarzenegger were evidently committed to the project. And why it didn't go forward was because, and and kind of ironic because Stan Lee was at this meeting, is that they just couldn't resolve the film rights issue. That Stan, over the years, had sold the rights to this property in so many different directions. I mean, one company owned the TV rights, one company owned the film rights, I want to say the animation rights went in multiple directions. And in order to get this out into theaters and make sure that it's profitable, they had to sort out who owned what. So it went to court for years. Also, a number of folks who, in the interim, you know, they would go to James and we'd love to make a movie with you. And it's like, okay, let me show you what we've got here for Spider-Man. And it was just the whole notion of... Oh, you're James Cameron. You're the guy who spent a hundred million dollars in in 1990 money on Terminator 2, and then True Lies just a, a couple of years later again a hundred million dollars. And let's not forget, by 1999, this is the guy who spent 210 million dollars making the Titanic. You know, which so panicked Paramount that they went out and and brought in 20th Century Fox as a financial partner and. Spider-Man was always going to be expensive to make. In fact, when Sam Raimi finally made his version in 2002, that was $139 million. I mean, mind you, it more than made that money back. But what's fascinating about the James Cameron version of Spider-Man is that the film would have climaxed with a battle on top of the World Trade Center, It would have also featured Peter Parker revealing his identity to Mary Jane Watson. By the way, it's kind of heavy on profanity. But by the time 
Columbia Sony had finally settled this dispute and wrestled the film rights to Spider-Man away from Carol Co., Cameron had, had been forced to move on. Um, now, mind you, he took Leonardo DiCaprio with him, and the two of them made Titanic, which was, for a time till Cameron's Avatar uh, came along, the top-grossing film of all time. And so, if you're curious as to what a James Cameron Spider-Man might, movie might have been like, you can read it today. Put in the search terms, James Cameron Spider-Man treatment or scriptment and this 49 page document pops up and it's a fascinating look at what a spider-man film would have been like in the early 90s and at the same time you, you read it and it's like how are they ever going to pull off these effects in the early days of digital but speaking of things that i'm, I'm fascinated to read and hear and learn about 32nd Street, Aaron's mm -hmm. Patreon project, very entertaining podcast, takes you behind the scenes on Madison Avenue. So what are we would talking about this week? We're covering the holidays. And uh, the reason we're covering the holidays is because uh, your your calendar when you're in, in the medias and you're doing the advertisings has to be like a full month ahead, ahead of everybody else. And we've talked on previous shows, like I was doing Halloween spots all throughout September, and now I'm doing mm -hmm. Thanksgiving commercials, and we're not even at Halloween yet, and in a couple of weeks I'll be doing Christmas commercials. So this is to help, you know, get your clients aware. Uh, you got your commercial copy in for Thanksgiving yet? Because, you know, we go on vacation every once in a while. There might not be someone here if you're eating cranberries at the moment and you go oh my god i ain't got my christmas commercial <laughs> a little late a little late black friday is hours away and you missed the boat we tried to warn you so yeah we're talking holidays a few weeks early cutting commercials makes me think of plugs and uh, time now for me to plug things i mean i've got a couple other podcasts here we we want you folks to pay attention to we got disney dish i do with lentesta we have fine tuning which i do with drew taylor who by the way has his own terrific podcast that he does with charles hood light the fuse the official mission impossible podcast be sure and check that out brian gone and i will be recording a new looking at lucas film sometime this weekend and we've got some other stuff in the works here as well but other thing i, I want to remind you folks about is len and my new project disney impact our first ever video series which we produce this in collaboration with jim Schul, who spent 30 plus years working at walt disney imagineering on your favorite attractions. Rides like Rock and Roller Coaster, Mater's Junkyard Jamboree, officially launched beginning of this month. You can get a taste of it over on YouTube. And by the way, episode two will drop on November 6th. That one is about Crush's Coaster, the first spinning roller coaster at a Disney theme park. So if you like what you see over on YouTube, if you want to head over to Patreon and sign up, that would be great. Beyond that, social media. So Aza Prod is still on X Twitter, right? Still doing the thing, posting when I have a, a free moment, see something cool, I hit repost and, and walk away because we got so many things going on and with the holidays and, and yeah. the other 
jobs and things and duties mm. and eh, duties. Anyway, uh, there we go. so yeah, there just uh, adults abroad. There we go. <laughs> back okay. to you, Jim. Okay. Uh, well, we are also on the Twitters or the X's or whatever. They likewise, Instagram is Jim Hill Media. Over on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News, and I think that's going to do it for this week. So, uh, on behalf of Mr. Adams, thank you for listening, and we will be back next week. <laughs>